Well, good evening. Good to see you here tonight. I'm excited to be here. It's always nice to get away and enjoy um, just some downtime as a pastor. You know, people think that the preaching is the hard part and the preaching is the hard part. It's all the other stuff. And so to know that I can just leave all of that behind and come and worship with you guys and hang out is just a joy. I'm thrilled to be with Jan again and with my friend Jonathan again. It's just a blessing um, to see how God worked. Two years ago, about this time, I was praying about direction for our church and what was next. And I told my wife, I said, I need to get out of town and just go and spend some time in the word, preparing, preparing for sermons, um, praying about the vision. And, and so I said, I'm going to Washington, D.C. Um, they have the Bible Museum there and I'd never been there. So I told her, I'm going to get on the plane and go to Washington, D.C., get me a hotel room, go get inspired in the Bible Museum, spend some time studying the word and see what God would say to me. And she said, well, why don't you take somebody with you? And I know that at that point, well, she met her, but she couldn't go. Um, and so... Um, at that point, Jonathan was in transition. He was praying about what God's next step was for him. Uh, he didn't yet know he was coming to Florida. And I knew that um, he was waiting to hear from the Lord on that. And I said, well, Jonathan, why don't you come go with me? And I have to say, in the last two years, if I were to take a two or three day period and say, those two or three days were influential on my life. It was that two or three days. Just getting in the word, um, praying, seeking the Lord, being with my friend, walking among the Bible museums. And actually, we, we prayed for wherever God would lead Jonathan. Um, we said, God, you have a plan. You know what it is. You show him and you show us. And so I was sharing with the folks this morning that just being here is an answer to prayer. And it's amazing how God moves. And on top of that, we went to D.C. and Jonathan says, I have a friend here. And I said, you have friends? <laughs> and uh, he said, no, no, I have a friend. Her name is Karen. And, and she knows this great restaurant and she's going to take us there. And so we met and she took us to a fabulous restaurant. And here we are all together again. What an amazing God we serve. Um, God is at work all around us. If you just stop and look, you will see God at work. If you open your heart, that's why the Bible says, let him who has ears to hear, hear what the spirit would say to him. God speaks in so many ways. He reveals himself in so many ways. And so I'm excited to be with you um, just to share a little bit about uh, what God is doing in our life and share from the word of Jeremiah with you and just open our hearts to the Lord. Uh, my wife is Amy. Maybe we have a picture. I don't know if we have a picture of my family to flip up there. But my wife, Amy, we have four children. The oldest two are in college, um, Solomon and Gideon. And then Silas is in the 10th grade and JL is in the 6th grade. I don't have it on my schedule to tell her story. Um, but she was born in the backseat of our car in Canada. Uh, I, I, I birthed my daughter. And that's such a scary thing. Um, it's a great story, great sermon illustration, um, but also a great blessing from God. And so that's my family. And you can pray for us at Williams Boulevard Baptist Church. Uh, we are serving the Lord, trying to reach our community for Christ, trying to make a difference in our neck of the woods. 
and I'm praying for you as you try to make a difference where you are, that you would be faithful, which is what we're talking about this week, that you would be faithful to serve the Lord and understand that God can do great and mighty things. So over the course of the next few days, I'm gonna share a little bit about myself because I believe your story is a part of your testimony of God. You know, we go to the word of God and we say, what does that mean? How does it flesh out? Well, I want to tell you how it's fleshed out in my life. And I want to learn how he's fleshed it out in your life. And not only what he's done in the past, but what he's going to do in the future. I hope that you're excited about what God is going to do in the days ahead. I think sometimes we, we spend too much time looking back. And it is important to look back and remember. But you also need to look ahead and say, God, what do you want to do in my life right now? God, in this season of life, what do you have for me? So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to the book of Jeremiah. Uh, that's where we're going to spend our time. Um, Jeremiah is such a wonderful book. It is a challenging book. And um, Jeremiah chapter 6 is where I want to start out tonight. So my path, as Jonathan said, um, began as a missionary kid in Liberia. I was two years old when my parents went to Africa, and I'll tell you more about that. But I came back to the States for college, went back to home, Louisiana, and um, it wasn't really home, but it's where my parents, uh, my dad was from, and so went to Louisiana, ended up going to seminary, uh, pastoring a church back in Louisiana. God led my wife and I to South Africa for a couple of years, and then he thought it would be funny to send us to Canada. I shared this morning that I had no idea what 40 below zero or 56 below zero, the coldest I ever saw up there was like. And God just thought it would be funny to take a kid from the tropical rainforest of Africa and the mugginess of Louisiana and put me up in Canada for about eight years. Um, but it's amazing to see what God chooses to do in our life. And, and our path is so important. And, and Jeremiah really speaks to that path and that journey that we're on. I don't know if you realize this, but Jeremiah is the longest book in the Old Testament. Most people don't realize that. If you count the letters, it's the longest book. Now, I know you don't sit around counting the letters. You know, Psalms has more chapters, and um, there are a couple of books that have more chapters. But if you actually counted every letter, Jeremiah is the longest book in the Old Testament. Um, there are 12 minor prophets in the Old Testament. Jeremiah is longer than all of those combined. And Jeremiah is a very difficult book to study. Um, because it's really just sermons and essays and writings, but it's not put together in a chronological format, a story format, an outline format. It's just Jeremiah preaching. And there's some chronology to it and some stories to it, but most of it is just Jeremiah preaching the word of the Lord, being faithful. And you may know about Jeremiah, but Jeremiah grew pretty discouraged um, because the people didn't listen to him. At one point he quit. He said, I'm not doing this anymore. But then he came back and said, I've got a fire in my belly and I can't help but preach. I must preach the word. And so Jeremiah is a great example of being faithful. You may not know this, but there are two versions of Jeremiah. Do you know that? There are two versions. 
Um, the Greek Septuagint, which was the translation of the Bible into Greek, um, has, I believe that was the shorter version. And then in the, about the 8th century, the Masoretic text is what we use to translate the Bible. Um, the Masoretic text has a longer version. So the Jeremiah in the Greek and Jeremiah in the Masoretic text are, are different. The Septuagint and the Masoretic text, one is short and one is a little bit longer. And so there was a big debate in the academic community, which one of those is right? Luckily, we had the Dead Sea Scrolls. In 1948-49, we found the Dead Sea Scrolls. We found huge portions of the Bible in clay pots in caves near the Qumran community in Israel. And they dated back just before the time of Christ a couple of centuries BC. And so, so we thought we're finally gonna have the answer because we got the full Isaiah, we got many of the Old Testament um, uh, manuscripts and it was so exciting. And, and you know which one is right, long or short? How many of you vote for long? How many of you vote for short? Okay, a lot of y'all are not voting. Uh, <laughs> undecided. When they began to translate it, they realized that both of them were in the Qumran community. And so by the time Jesus came on the scene and would have been reading the scrolls in the synagogue, they would have used both the old, the short and the long Jeremiah. And, and basically when you read them, it, there are things that are not in both, but there is no substantive deletion. In other words, it, they, they use both of them and both of them have all of the very impactful things that we find in Jeremiah. So it's very interesting um, to study the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is one of those books that you may not be able to outline it. You may not be able to kind of explain all of it, but there's a lot of verses in there that you'll recognize as soon as you hear them. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, and plans not to harm you, but to give you hope in the future. That's Jeremiah 29. And there are tons of passages like that in some of those that we'll look at. It's a very encouraging book. And that's interesting because Jeremiah was written to ungodly people. Jeremiah was written to people and it was written for the purpose of saying, come back to God. You've strayed far from God. I want you to live faithful. I want you to follow God. And the people weren't even listening. And yet there's so much encouragement in the book of Jeremiah. Can I just encourage you that God is an encouraging God? That God knows your journey. God knows where you've been, what you're going through, what you're dealing with what this stage of life looks like for you. And God wants to say to you, be encouraged, God is with you. God is with us. Emmanuel, God with us. I wanna remind you tonight and as we walk through Jeremiah that God is with you and God has a message for you. So tonight I wanna to start with Jeremiah chapter six and just kind of explore that idea um, just for a few minutes. If you have your Bibles, look at Jeremiah chapter 6, um, beginning in verse 16. And I am in the process now of trying to figure out how to put on glasses. I have shifted in the last year or two from being able to see the Bible to not. So bear with me as I try to figure out these things. Jeremiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 16. Thus says the Lord, stand by the ways... And see and ask for the ancient path, 
where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your soul. But they said, we will not walk in it. And I set watchmen over you saying, listen to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not listen. Therefore, hear, O nations, and know, O congregation, what is among them. Hear, O earth, behold, I am bringing disaster on this people, the fruit of their plans, because they have not listened to my word. And as for my law, they have rejected it also. For what purpose does frankincense come to me from Sheba? And the sweet cane from a distant land. Your burnt offerings are not acceptable and your sacrifices are not pleasing to me. Therefore, says the Lord, behold, I am laying stumbling blocks before this people and they will stumble against them. Fathers and sons together and neighbor and friend will perish. Father, I pray that you would stir our hearts tonight. That you would help us to hear a word that comes from you. And Father, I pray that you would just prick in our heart, our conscience, what it is that you desire for us and how it is that you want us to live and walk and serve and be your people in this place. Father, thank you for this time together and may your name be honored. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The key verse that I want to look at is verse 16. It says, thus says the Lord, stand by the ways and look and ask for the ancient path. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your soul. Now this particular sermon of Jeremiah's is an announcement of judgment. That's what he's doing. He's announcing that judgment has come. God has identified a path for people to walk in. He's identified the way that he wants them to walk and the people have rejected it. You know, when I was growing up in Liberia, we walked a lot. Uh, we would have 300 people at church on Sunday and about three vehicles would be there. Almost everybody walked to church. One of the inspirational stories of my life is a young man who came to know Christ and his name was Sunday Pee Wee. And he couldn't walk. He didn't have use of his legs and didn't have access to a wheelchair. And so he had these wooden hand things that he walked on, dragging his feet behind him. And when he started coming to church, he would walk two and a half miles to come to church because he had heard about Jesus. Eventually, I had the privilege of baptizing him with my dad because dad was concerned that he couldn't hold him in the water by himself. And so I got down as a college student um, into the water with my dad and helped baptize Sunday Pee Wee. And that was the first person that I ever helped baptize. But it made a deep impression on my life with the idea that he would walk on his hands two and a half miles to come to church. You know, we walked a lot and their culture was a walking culture. We walked and talked. Uh, one of the sayings that we had was, carry me halfway. And so if you were leaving my house, going somewhere, and we had been talking, you might say to me, carry me halfway. I'm going to the market. You didn't mean measure it out half the distance and go half the way. What you meant was walk with me for a little while because I'd rather have somebody to walk and talk with, and that's important. You know, we've lost that in our culture. We're on the phones all the time. We're in the car. You look on the highways and three-fourths of the vehicles have one person in them. And, and we struggle to do life together. 
But growing up in Liberia, we did life together and we walked on the path of life together. We, we did life together and we walked and we talked. And, and so someone would say, carry me halfway. And we would walk and talk about the things of life. I think that Jeremiah wants us to understand that, that we need to walk with one another. We need to understand what God is doing. And so he says there in verse 16, stand by the way and look and ask for the ancient path. I want to explore that. What does it mean, the ancient path? What are you looking for? Where, where does it lead? Why, why is that the path that we need to walk in? But let me back up just a moment. Notice at verse 16, it begins, thus says the Lord. Did you know that that's 427 times in the Old Testament? 427 times it says, thus saith the Lord. It's probably important. It's probably important to be reminded that this is the word of the Lord. As you read Jeremiah, even though it was written thousands of years ago to a different people, it is written for us. And this is the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord. This is God speaking to us about faithfulness. So the question is, who are you listening to? Who's speaking into your life? So when I'm driving somewhere, there's this Australian lady on, called Siri that tells me where to go. You know, like I ask her questions and she talks back to me. The problem is I moved to South Louisiana and she doesn't speak South Louisiana. I tell her I need to go to Chapatatula Street and she has no idea. Or I tell her I'm going to Fushan or Thibodeau and she has no idea. And so I haven't figured out how to switch from the Australian lady to somebody that speaks Cajun. But, but who are those people that you listen to in your life? Who are those people that you listen to to give you direction? Whose opinion matters to you? And where in that scope is the opinion of the Lord? Do you regularly listen to the opinion of the Lord? You see, I want to challenge you this week and tonight that if we are going to live faithful, we've got to have faithful voices in our life. And the one who is faithful is the first voice. But then we also need brothers and sisters in Christ who are faithful in the word, faithful counsel in the Lord, or we will lose our way. One of the blessings of serving with my friend Jonathan is I had a faithful friend. And we could talk through the good things and the bad things. And he could ask my advice and I could ask his advice. And we walk that season of life and ministry together. And that's so important for faithfulness. Faithfulness requires that talking and walking. And so you notice what it says there. It says, thus saith the Lord, stand by the way and look. And that's the first thought I want to share with you tonight is, is the actions that are involved in that faithfulness. The first thing he says is look. Look. How often do we look? I mean, really look. I mean, we go places and we see things, but how often do we stop and look for God? In fact, in the passage, it says, stand at the crossroads, stand at the intersections of life. When you come to those places in your life where you don't know what to do, instead of just doing, stop and look. Look for God. Look for the hand of God. Look for the direction that God is putting before you. Sometimes that direction will come from the most unlikely places and you will miss it if you're not looking. 
Think back on your life, the decisions that you made, whether it was who you married or, or whether it was a vocational choice or a college or a job or moving in. And ask yourself the question, in those crossroads of life, how often did I stop and look to see what the Father would say to me? So that's where we've been, but now where we're going. What he's saying to us is that this season in our life, stop and look. Stop and look and see what God is doing. Stop and look as Henry Blackaby would say, see what God is doing and join him. Look and see where God is at work and be a part of that. I think so often we want to be faithful, but we don't stop and look. We don't open our heart to that. So my dad was a country boy in North Louisiana. He always liked to say he never wore shoes till he was 12 years old. Um, I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what he would say. And um, he was a country boy and a home, homebody and, and God called him into ministry and sent him out to California to go to seminary, which was like going to another planet. And it was a totally different world for him. At the time, he was 20-something years old and single, and God led him to go be a summer missionary and stay out there for seminary. Eventually, my mom moved from Tennessee out there, and they got married. I think they got engaged three weeks after they met. Uh, and kind of crazy stuff. But um, he was out there and praying for God's direction on his life. Now, my mom was 12 years old when she heard the Lord say to her, I want you to be a missionary. And so my mom in her heart, never been out of the country until she left Tennessee to go to California, had never been out of Tennessee. And yet she knew in her spirit that God had said to her, I want you to be a missionary. So she goes out to California. In the process of all of that, she met my dad. They got engaged and got married. Before they got married, she said one thing to my dad. I love you and I'd like to marry you, but I can't marry you unless you answer yes to one question. God has called me to be a missionary. And if God calls us to go, are you willing to go? And my dad said, well, I've been called to be a pastor. God never said anything about missionary stuff. I don't even know about mission work. But, it, but I will tell you this, if God calls us, we'll go. And so my mom said, that's good enough for her. We'll get married. My dad was in a Bible study group. And of all things, there was a Liberian in that Bible study. His name was Gus Marwia. And for a year, my dad was in that group. And Gus would say at the end, they would always pray. And Gus would always say, pray for my people in Liberia. Liberia needs missionaries. Liberia needs people to share the gospel with them. And when I finish seminary, I'm going back. But God needs to raise up people to go. And to hear my dad tell it, he prayed for Liberia faithfully every week for a year. And right at the end of the semester, Right at the end of that year of praying together, God whispered in his ear and said to him, what are you, why are you praying for something that you can do something about? And three years later, my mom and dad loaded up three little kids. I was two years old. I was a third. There was a five-year-old, four-year-old, and a two-year-old. And we got on a plane from North Louisiana, flew to Atlanta. I have pictures you could walk on the tarmac back then in Atlanta to get from one plane to the other. Pictures of that. And we got, we got on a plane and flew to Africa, having never been out of the country, to go and serve God in Liberia, West Africa. But that all began through prayer and faithfully looking and seeing what God was doing. And God showed my dad that all the way out in California through someone who was in Liberia, and it changed his life. The greatest blessing of my life 
was to grow up in Liberia, to be a part of a missionary family, to see God at work in my, my parents and to see God work in Liberia and all that God did. And you trace it all the way back to a man saying every week, pray for Liberia and pray that God would send missionaries. The first thing we have to do is we have to stop and look. And then the second thing it says, not only stop and look, but it says ask, ask. And notice what it says in particular, ask for the ancient path. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not good with bearings. I don't, like when I come to, when I come to a decision about which way to go, I usually choose the wrong way. Anybody with me? If I turn right, I was supposed to turn left. But here's the problem. The Bible says, ask. And what do men not do? So we take the wrong turn and we keep driving because we don't stop and ask. All I had to do was stop at the convenience station and I would have saved myself an hour. But I'm gonna figure it out so I keep driving in the wrong direction. Jeremiah knew that about us. And so Jeremiah said, ask for the ancient path. But what is the ancient path? You know, sometimes we talk about the good old days. You remember when coats were 15 cents? You remember when we had all these things that we could get for under a dollar? You remember all the good old days stuff? That's not what it's talking about. It's not talking about the good old days. In fact, the Bible tells us what it's talking about. In Isaiah 43, 13, it says, For ancient of days, I am he. And then in Daniel chapter seven, verse nine, it says the ancient of days identifying God. He's saying, stop and ask the one who was from the very beginning. Stop and ask the ancient of days, the one who is eternal. Spend some time with God. Ask God to give us wisdom and direction. Some of you have children and grandchildren and your children are all over the country, maybe even all over the world, and, and you're at that stage in life where, where you've got to decide what you're doing and where you're going to live and how you're going to see your children and grandchildren and all of that. And, and at some point, we need to stop and say, God, what do you want to do in my life right now? You've been a Christian for 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 years. And that is a wonderful thing, but, but what about right now? What am I going to do with God right now? Ask the ancient of days. Spend time with the Lord. Go back to, to what is the true meaning of faithfulness. Go back to the one who is faithful. Psalms chapter one, verse two says, blessed is he who delights in the law of the Lord. He meditates on his, on his, on his word day and night. Blessed is the one who meditates on the word of the Lord. I don't know about you, but sometimes as a Christian, I feel like I know the Bible and so I don't need to meditate as much as I used to. Now that's not true, but it's sometimes how I feel. It's sometimes what my actions convey. But the reality is the longer you walk with him, the more you need to spend time with him. What does it say about the men of faith? By faith, Abraham did this. By faith, Moses did this. By faith, Ezekiel did this and it walks through the heroes of the faith and it tells us the, the faith journey and it's walking with God every day throughout our life. The challenge for us is to ask, what does God want to do in our church right now? What does God want to do in your church and what is he doing and how can you be impactful in that process? 
So many times we've lived our life where it was all about us and this moment is about us and there comes a season in life when it isn't about us anymore. And sometimes we want it to still be about us, but the reality is we need to be laying the foundations for the next generation. When I came to Williams Boulevard Baptist Church in 2010, our church was at a crossroads. Church had gone through Hurricane Katrina, uh, Hurricane Gustav. Um, the pastor that had been there for a long time, 30 years, had died. There was a, a kind of a leadership vacuum and the storms hit and, and the church in a 10-year period declined rapidly and was pretty in a desperate situation. And there were some faithful folks there, mostly older faithful folks. It was all that was left. And so we had a rebuilding process ahead of us, a, a, a restoration project to work on. And, and, and it's a great challenge because when, when God gives you a vision and you cast that vision and you begin to seek the Lord, there are those who stop and listen and say, I hear the word of the Lord. And there are others that don't want to hear. That's what the passage said. He preached the word, but they would not hear. They didn't want to see. They didn't want to hear because they didn't want life to change. But the reality is life was changing. In a few short years, Jerusalem was going to be destroyed. Jeremiah wasn't just preaching for his health. He was warning them that judgment is coming, that, that this, this is not going to be good. You're going to be dragged off in exile. And they put their hands over their ears. They didn't want to hear. But among those who didn't want to hear, there were some faithful who did want to hear. And that faithful remnant went into exile and were faithful to the Lord, Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego and Esther and Nehemiah. Many of them went off into exile and were faithful unto the Lord. And 70 years later, God brought them back. The challenge is, are we faithful to hear what God is doing? Are we asking God, God, what do you want to do in my life? I often wondered what motivated my mom and dad. I mean, I know what did, but, and they've told me, but you know, it's just hard to imagine in the 1960s that you would load up three kids and get on a plane and head to Africa. There was no email. You couldn't call back and tell people how you were doing. We had no phone service to the United States. We didn't know about whether there'd be any schools for the children or nothing like that. And mom believed, mom and dad believed in the Lord and they got on a plane and they flew to Africa. It just boggles my mind. You know why they did that? Because they heard from the Lord and they wanted to be faithful. And in their faithfulness, God did more than you could ever imagine. In those 30 years, mom and dad were in Liberia. They went to the Mano and Gio people, an unreached people group. My dad probably baptized upward of four to 5,000 people in 30 years. We literally, I remember growing up and like, like having bapti baptizing 10 to 15 people every Sunday was not uncommon for us. There were years where he was baptizing 200 to 300 people. Every week, people were coming out of the villages into the town, going to school, and, and they were being led to faith in Christ. And, and I just thought it was like that everywhere. But their faithfulness to go and do what God called them to do turned into a movement of God and it wasn't about them, it was about God. But we have a role in that. 
Churches all over that part of the region were started, some by my dad, but many by those that he baptized. I go back to Liberia now and I go to the orphanage and I go to the churches and I, I preach in these villages and, 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 and every time I ask them who started this church, they would name somebody that was connected to Mount Nimba Baptist Church, somebody that knew my dad or somebody that knew somebody that dad led to the Lord. It was just an amazing thing to see. But that's what God does with faithfulness. If we will be faithful, if we will ask, if we will look, if we will stop and see what God is doing and join him, God will do more than we could ever hope for or imagine. It wasn't always easy. My mom and dad went through 14 years of civil war. In 1991, Liberia erupted into a civil war. Probably Liberia is about the size of Tennessee. And during the war, 400,000 people were killed. It was horrific. I was there in 1991 for about six months with my dad. And, and it was pretty traumatic. And yet in the midst of that, people coming to faith in Christ, in the midst of all of the hardship to see God at work. And I look back and I say, I am amazed at what God has done. I'll tell you the story tomorrow about Anthony and Betty Jonah and, and their faithfulness to the Lord and all that God did in their life. But to see a generation that rose up because of the faithfulness of a few, it inspires me to be all that I can be. This past year in September, I turned 55. You know that, Jonathan? 55. They sent me an AARP card in the mail. I'm like, what is this? Actually, my wife got it and brought it to me laughing. And so I got my card and, um, you know, but, but it made me stop and think. It made me stop and think, okay, I'm at this season in life and I'm looking ahead and I have this much time left if the Lord is willing. And I don't know how much time that is, but what am I going to do with the next season of my life? I know what I've done, but what, what, what's ahead and what does God want to do? And it compelled me to stop and look and ask, God, what do you want me to do? Because more than anything else, I want to be faithful. If people get saved, God does that. I don't. If God uses me to lead people to Christ, praise God, but he does the saving. And so what I can control, what I decision I make is who do I follow? And what I want to challenge you tonight to think about is just that faithfulness. What does it mean to be faithful to the Lord? And it means to look, to see what God is doing and to ask him. And then the last thing is just to find or to seek. It says in Jeremiah, it says, you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Do you seek the Lord with all of your heart? If you want to find God, you have to seek him with all of your heart. So finding God can be measured by the seeking process. If you are not seeking God with all of your heart, you're not finding what he wants to do in your life. If you're uncertain what God wants to do in your life in the days ahead, I would challenge you just to spend some time with the Lord. Seek the Lord with all of your heart. Open your heart to him. Look around in your community and see what God wants to do here. 
We pray quite often for our community. When we came to our church, it was mostly older folks who had been very faithful. The church was in kind of a difficult place. And I look back 10 years later and God has been at work in our church. On Saturday night, we have a Spanish service. Just a couple of weeks ago, our Spanish pastor baptized 35 people on a Saturday night. What an amazing thing. And then on Sunday afternoon, of all things, we have an Arabic service now. We have a, a population of Arabic people in Kenner, Louisiana, and we're reaching them with the gospel. What an amazing thing. But, but it's because we looked around at our community and said, who's here and what does God want to do? And God began to raise up people to lead those ministries. Uh, and, and we are able to engage every part of our community. We have a special needs ministry on Sunday morning. It was started many years ago. We're still doing that. A lady about 40 years ago who recently just passed away. She felt like God was calling her to reach special needs adults. And so she started a worship service for them. So during our Sunday school time at, at nine o'clock, they meet in the gym and have worship. And sometimes there's a hundred of them in the room. And they've been doing that for 40 or 50 years because somebody was faithful. Somebody said, yes, Lord. Somebody stopped and looked around. Cindy Maz was her name. She passed away just in the last month or so. But she told me several times, and even right before she died, she was recounting her life story to me. And she said she remembers when she heard God most vividly. I believe she said it was 1972. And she said, I was sitting in a worship service. And God said to me, I want you to love the people who are not loved. And I want you to spend your life doing that. And Jonathan knows her very well. And he knows that that's what she did all the way to the very end, all the way through her cancer treatments and all the way to her deathbed. She was loving people and telling them about Jesus and mostly people that everybody else had discarded. God's call on our life is to live faithful. I was the third child. My mom had had two kids already. Evidently, if you are a woman and you have a rare blood type, and you have babies, now they give you a shot because if you don't, your next child can have a birth defect. And that ended up being me. I was born in Tallulah, Louisiana. I was the third child and I was born with some issues. I don't see in my right eye, don't hear in my right ear. Uh, my right leg is a little bit shorter than my left. Right arm's a little bit shorter than my left. I have scroliosis um, in my back. There was a uh, weakness on my right side, I have facial paralysis on the right side. And I was born, I was like four pounds when I was born. And I was tiny. I was always tiny until I started eating king cakes in New Orleans. Um, <laughs> when I was um, a senior in high school, I weighed about a hundred pounds. I was five foot five, a hundred pounds. And, and I grew up, I was always the skinny little kid. Um, I couldn't hold my head up straight. I remember growing up and my head was always over on my shoulder and, and people would ask me, why can't you hold your head up straight? Uh, what do you mean? I, I thought I did. I didn't, you know, I didn't realize it. And then you get older and you realize it. And then you begin to feel introverted. You begin to feel insecure. Um, kids make fun of your disabilities and your weaknesses. And most of the time they don't mean anything bad by it, but it becomes a part of who you are. And so I grew up as a pretty competitive kid. And mainly I was competitive because I wanted to prove that I belonged. Uh, 
It didn't matter if we were playing basketball or ping pong or tiddlywinks. I wanted to win. And the reason I wanted to win was because I wanted to feel better about me. My brother is six foot one. By the time he was in the 10th grade, he could dunk a basketball. And I loved basketball and I was lucky to touch the net. And so I made the team, but I sat on the bench. I competed the best I could, but, but it just never seemed to put me in a place where people recognized me for who I wanted to be. I struggled with that. I became a Christian at a young age, but, and, and that changed my perspective, but I still had this void, this emptiness in my life. There was just this sense of, of I'm not good enough. I'm not as good as my brother. I can't do what other people can do and all of this kind of stuff. And you wrestle with it on the inside. And I remember so many times wrestling with that in my spirit, wanting to be somebody, wanting to make a difference, wanting to have the impact that other people had. I had a guy in our elementary school from Liberia that I always wanted to beat him in track and he always smoked me. Years later, he ran in one of the Olympics. I think it was in the one in Los Angeles. But I was at a disadvantage and, and I always kind of blamed it on my disabilities and things that happened to me. I tried on the outside not to let people see that, but on the inside, I always felt like something was missing. Went off to college and I was at college by myself. My parents were in Africa. I didn't know anybody. I was trying to find my way, trying to learn the American culture. I found me a church to go to. And I was sitting in church towards the back on a Sunday night. And I heard the voice from the Lord say to my spirit, Tim, I want you to be a pastor. I want you to preach. I was going to be a coach. I was going to be a teacher. Uh, I, I may be a journalist. All these plans I had for my life, none of them involved being a pastor. None of them involved getting up in front of people and talking. That wasn't me. So I sat there and it felt like a long time and I argued with the Lord and, and told him, no, I, I don't know how to do that. I can't do that. I'm shy. I'm introverted. I'm not a good speaker. I can't do what my dad does. And after just that short period, I realized that this is God talking to you. You either say yes or no to God and that's your only two choices. And I didn't know a lot. I was 18 years. I might not have even been 18. I might have still been 17. But I knew enough to say yes to God. And tears began to flow down my face. And I got up from the very back and I walked down to the front and I told the pastor, I don't understand, but I've heard the Lord say to, to me, I want you to be a pastor or preacher. And I don't know if I can do that, but if the Lord wants me to do that, I'm willing. That was ever how many years ago that was. Can I tell you that the most amazing thing is to see God take someone who had no purpose and give him a purpose. To see someone who didn't feel like he had what it took and to see the power of God give you everything that you need. I wouldn't trade it for the world. God has allowed me to go all over the world, see amazing things, be a part of his work. And it reminds me every time it happens that God did that. You see, faithfulness is simply standing at the crossroads or sitting at the back of a church and hearing that voice from the Lord and saying yes. And that wasn't a yes 40 years ago. That was a yes yesterday. That was a yes when I got up this morning. That is a yes every day of your life for as long as God gives you breath. You wake up in the morning and say, yes, Lord. 
I will be faithful. I'm ready to do what you want me to do. And if you will do that, God will do great and mighty things in and through and around you. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? Many of you have heard messages all your life about following Jesus. You could probably deliver the message that I've given you better than I have. But it's not a question of the message. It's the question of the one receiving the message, the heart. Is your heart where it needs to be with the Lord? Are you stopping and looking and asking and seeking the Lord? Do you want God to do something new in your life? Do you want God to work in your life? And is the answer yes? In these next few days, I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. But most of all, I want to invite you to continue to walk with God, to put him first in your life, and to look around your community and say, God, you have planted me here. I want to make a difference right here. Use me in any way you want to. And that's my prayer for you tonight. Father, I pray that you would use this time together for your glory, that you would do a great work, that you would begin a great work in us right here and right now. Father, my answer is yes. Whatever you want to do this week, my answer is yes. Show me, guide me, lead me, help me to be all you want me to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's worship together.